Hello, and welcome to the Vulture TV podcast. I'm your host this week, Jen Cheney. On this week's show, we're talking about the final season of Girls, and I am here with New York Magazine TV critic Matt Zoller-Seitz. Hello, Jen. Hi. Hi. I'm also here with Vulture staff writer Alex Jung. Alex, it's great to have you back on the show with us. Hi again. <laughs> Hi. Uh, Gazella Mommy, unfortunately, is not with us this week, but we look forward to having her back hopefully next week. So before we start talking about girls, which we will in a moment, specifically the most recent episode that featured Matthew Reese, we are going to do this week's prompt, which is something we do at the beginning of every podcast where we are asked to think of a favorite moment or show or character. And this week's prompt is asking us for the best depiction of a drunk night on television. And we're going to define this broadly because it could be a drunk night. It could just be a really good drunk character portrayal. I'm going to throw it to Matt first. What's your choice in this? Sure. Uh, when I think about, you know, artfully playing drunk, like really playing drunk, I think of Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke on the old Dick Van Dyke show was really, really good at playing drunk. And he wasn't doing going for like a documentary representation of drunkenness. It was more like an artist sketch of a drunk. And uh, I, lo- I just love the way that he played those moments because he was um, – he was over. He was overconfident, self-deprecating, and he just has a great physique for playing drunk because he's so tall and skinny, and he can just move, he can sort of move his body into like all the punctuation marks, if you know what I mean. You know, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's just a master at it. Um, and as far as a more pathetic drunk, uh, I got to go with Freddie Rumson on Mad Men. Mm. Freddie Rumson oh, on yeah. Mad Men is definitely like, you know, a, a walking public service announcement uh, for, uh, for, for moderation. Freddie, do you have another pair of trousers here? <laughs> Why? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I'll fix this. I, I, need a, I need a minute. I got to think. <laughs> Freddie? Is he dead? And, uh, and, of course, Don Draper is as well. And I think, actually, John Hamm did a very good job of playing uh, various shades of drunk, including the kind of belligerent know-it-all drunk who you may not know is drunk. You know, that was that was a mode for Don a lot. So those those are mm-hmm. my choices. And, there's, it's you know, I'm just realizing, like, trying to narrow it down how many flavors of drunk there are. So many shades. <laughs> yes. Fifty shades of drunk. Uh, you know, yes, in, exactly. in, in Freddie Rumson's defense, he could play, uh, you know, songs with a zipper. And I think that's really <laughs> impressive. <laughs> that's right. Not yeah. every drunk can do that. No. Uh, Alex, what, what do you think about uh, this? Well, so <laughs> I'm terrible. What's the your first... opinion? Well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible person because like the first thing I, I thought of immediately was not even a fictional character. It was just Paula Abdul um, doing that <laughs> interview <laughs> about American Idol where she was just kind of like swaying outside of the frame. Yeah. Oh, man. I know that's horrible. I, that's horrible of me. When the camera has to follow you, right. you're drunk. Right. You're drunk. <laughs> you hit that moment. Um, but in, in terms of a character, I, I, I feel like I was, you know, I was telling Matt um, uh, before we started recording that I was in such a good mood today, A, partially because of the weather. Yes. And then B, also because I was watching uh, 
I Love Lucy, and I was watching the Vitamita Vegemin episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where uh, Lucy, you know, like, uh, wants to do the commercial for it and wants to sell the product, and so she... She doesn't know it contains alcohol. A 23% alcohol. 23% alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and so she keeps, drink, like, taking a tablespoon and a tablespoon, and she does the rehearsal. She's doing great. <laughs> but, you know, by this time, by the time she actually has to do the commercial, she starts getting drunk. Yes, with Vitamita Vegemin, you can spoon your way to health. All you do is take a big tablespoonful after every meal. <laughs> it's so tasty, too. It tastes just like candy. So why don't you join the thousands of happy, peppy people and get a great big bottle of Vitamita Vegemin tomorrow. That's Vitamita Vegemin. <laughs> See what I mean? All right, you can do it tonight. But only because we're in a spot and it's late, understand? Yes, sir. Oh. The way she plays it is just masterful. Right? It is masterful. Yeah. It is masterful. Watching She's... her face, watching her like slowly slur the word. She can't get... And it's so it's a crazy word to make her say. Yes. Um, and... <laughs> and then I think she gets towards the end and she's like not even bothering no. or something. <laughs> Tastes like candy. <laughs> that is a great one. Um, a... So that so that would be mine. And then and then the other thing I was thinking of also, and again, this is I think because it's a real portrayal of drunkenness is drunk history because yes. they're actually drunk oh, on sure. that they show. Are. Jen, what's yours? So, well, I thought of two things. The first thing I thought about in terms of a drunk night on TV was immediately the Parks and Recreation episode, The Fight, mm-hmm. where they all go to the Snake Hole Lounge and are drinking the snake juice. And there's that montage that I feel like it might be the most gift drunk television moment in history if there is such a thing, because we've seen those Ron Swanson dancing with the little tiny hat on his head <laughs> yes. uh, images over and over again. This snake juice is basically rat poison. Everybody's wasted. You don't even know what they got. I didn't even say what they got. She asked me the whole thing and I didn't even do it once. I'm like an elephant, okay? If I walk into a room, it's like, okay, he's in there. I'm going to tell you that that bitch over there. I'm going to tell, I don't have to, I don't have to brat. ba boy. <laughs> Turn this music down. Bossing, pooping, loving stuff. Magnum, Tom's in the trunk, Jerry's on the roof. All right, where to first? Your mother's butt. <laughs> you know, I think if I had to pick a TV cast to get drunk with, I mean, the Parks and Rec cast would probably be pretty high up there. Oh, yeah. yeah. It seemed like they'd be a fun group to, to have some drinks with. Uh, and then this isn't a drunk night, but I just it just made me think about, you know, how often – Homer Simpson is drunk on The Simpsons yeah. and yeah. all the, the many delightful times that he's been drunk. And I just immediately thought of that that postcard that he writes to Marge that's supposed to be this love letter. Oh, and he's yes, like, I know. pretzels, get the hell out of here. Yes, and it it's is. just like scrawled at the end. Did Dad ever write you a love letter? That's the question. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Nobody yes, wrote me this postcard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marge, and maybe you'll be talking, but you got a butt that won't quit. <laughs> 
I like his signature because he reads the signature, which is like, he's like, no, 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 $5. I got to go. All right. Well, this was fun. And edifying. We're still sober, though, unfortunately. But anyway, that was this week's prompt. Listeners, if you would like to weigh in on this week's prompt or if you'd like to suggest a prompt for a future week, please email us at tvquestions at vulture.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-504-7673. Next up, we will be talking about girls. We'll be right back. So now we have reached the topic portion of the podcast, and the topic this week is girls. The final season of Girls is currently in progress, and by the time this podcast comes out, we'll be three episodes in. Given that the most recent episode was a bottle episode, and bottle episodes have proven to be interesting and sometimes divisive, uh, like everything about girls, it seems, uh, we thought we'd take some time to discuss that episode and also just how we're feeling about the season so far. Um, the most recent episode was called American Bitch. And it focuses on Hannah and really this conversational dance that she does with Chuck Palmer, who's played by uh, Matthew Reese, an author who's been accused of sexual assault. And that's something that Hannah has written about. And he has invited her to his apartment to have a discussion about this. Um, really, I just kind of want to start with talking about that that episode and sort of our reactions to it and then broaden the conversation about the, the season in general. Um Matt, I'll start with you. What what was your initial reaction to this episode? Well, I struggled with what exactly to think of it, honestly. And and I have often had that reaction to particular episodes of Girls, but this one felt a little different because it was um, – there was something sort of, I guess you would say, extra dramatic about it. Like I don't mean more dramatic than usual, but like beyond the scope of the drama. Like it felt like it was it was an episode of Girls. I think it worked as an episode of Girls – but it also felt like it was a refer a referendum on girls. Lena Dunham's uh, feelings about being at the head of the uh, the production and and being mm-hmm. basically the hood ornament on the car and having to absorb all the all the bird shit and bugs that hit the car right. <laughs> basically. Totally. Uh, I guess mm-hmm. she would be more the windshield if that were the metaphor. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, she's like yeah. she's she and she actually hinted at something like that in a in an interview she did with Vulture. And I guess probably other publications as well. Um, and and I feel like she's working through a lot of issues here. Like there's there's you know Hannah is working through some issues. And as a writer and as a uh, somebody who one day would like to be a public figure, and I feel like she's kind of having a conversation with her older self in some ways. Uh, you know, obviously the the dynamic is a little different because she's a woman and he's a man, but. Definitely, there's a lot in there about the interaction of celebrities with, I guess you would say, civilians. Mm-hmm. But but for the most part, what struck me was it felt like an interrogation of the show by the show, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and, which I think is fascinating. It is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it's also, uh, I think it was kind of masterfully constructed in the way that it built towards that final section where... Matthew Reese's character, who is, I don't know who this writer is based on, but he seemed like kind of like Jonathan Franzen <laughs> marinated in Charles Bukowski's sweat or something. You know, I mean, like he was, he was like a, he was sort of an amalgamation of the like sensitive intellectual alpha male pig writer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and boy, was he good. Was Matthew Reese oh, good? Oh, he was. He yes. was. Oh, that guy, excellent. I mean, I know it's like saying the sky is blue, but that guy is a really good actor. The, the look really. that he gives her after, his little, little penis. 
Yeah, yeah. Forsky? After his, <laughs> his 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 impromptu dong unveiling. Right. Yes, yes. It's it's so it's creepy. It is. Yeah, and creepy. But it is creepy. I oh, felt yeah. I I watched it a second time and I and I was like, gosh, that really is creepier than I caught the first time. Well, and also it's it's partly the way it's photographed from overhead, and he's like in a position like he's a child, like he's a child, like he's a child sleeping next to his mother, mm. and you know, and that mm. wider angle shows us the you know the wang. And it's just there's something sort of uh, simultaneously tender and obscene, like literally mm. and in other ways about that image. And also the fact that she sort of it's like she got played. It's like she it's like he won somehow. That's, that's what, how I, yeah. what I got out of yeah. it. It's like he won. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it sounds like a weird way to describe it. But you know what I mean? Like he. Yeah, because she spent the trolling. whole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is. Yeah. She spent the whole past 20 minutes or whatever it was trying to explain why women should not be, be putting themselves in that position and then ended up being in that position herself. Yes. Uh, and, and it is – it's like he, he, he proved that he was right that, you know, this is your fault almost. Not You know what I mean? Like Right. Right. And she can't, you know, she can't plausibly deny that on some level it is. And maybe fault is the wrong word because that implies, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that implies like we're all passing moral judgment on her. And I don't think I don't think anybody who really watches this episode attentively can do that. Um, I, I came away with it with an understanding of how a situation like that can happen. Not yes. to say that, like, you know, one party is blameless because certainly that's not the case. But, I mean, now I felt like I understood the construction of a moment like that better. Well, and I think uh, Lena uh, said this to Vulture, to Gazelle, but I think she was interested in that gray area of what – of what because I think conversations around sexual assault often do, and rightfully so, sort of, like, take hard lines. Um, and I think that, you know, what you saw in some ways was that both of – both what Matthew Reese and Lena Dunham were arguing, what their characters were arguing, were in some ways correct. Right. That the right. power imbalance exists, that that's real, both in terms of celebrity, in terms of gender, in terms of age, in terms of all of these sort of things. And then also that that maybe that could be attractive, that that could be right. – that you could be curious, that – that like he could do something kind of disgusting and ch- almost childishly – I don't know – it felt very man baby almost to me, uh, just like him pulling out his penis. Yeah, it's and then passive she, aggressive, right? And then him, her, just like wanting to grab it and see what happens too. Right. Felt yeah. <laughs> uh, like you know she didn't uh, consent necessarily to that, um, but she also was an actor. And well, yeah, she didn't consent to the to the to the presentation of, right. of the of the Wang, right? But she, but she gripped it. She did. So like that's sort of. That complicates things. It complicates things. I mean, yeah. I think it just makes it, uh, it makes it gray, grayer than maybe sometimes we would like things to be. Well, and there's also that wonderful, like I think the expression on her face as she as she <laughs> as she touches it is perfect because it's basically like, uh, you know, the classic sort of conversation that you have about an ugly hot celebrity who's known to be an asshole. Would you Would you fuck him? Uh-huh. And a lot of people would answer yes, even though they even though they disapprove, even though they find somebody reprehensible on like a lot of different levels, they might do it just to say they did it, uh-huh. just to say they did it. And that's sort of what I got out of that expression on her face. It's like, well, I might as well. I might as well. <laughs> I might as well. It's like I'm here. Right. You know, like this. It's I, there I, on my thigh. I'm in this ridiculous, con- like com- humiliating predicament. But, you know, 
what what the hell? What the hell? Or maybe yeah, she didn't I, know I, what she was thinking, you know? I don't know. I guess I felt like she went to his apartment in part to get validation because yes. she kind of – she admired him uh, yeah. as a writer. Yeah. And I wrote a, a piece comparing this um, episode to One Man's Trash from season two, which was another bottle episode where um, – Hannah spends all this time with Patrick Wilson's character, completely different scenario. Um, but there are a lot of parallels that I think mm-hmm. are very deliberate uh, in the way even that it's shot. Like that that first episode, the camera lingers on a lot of the objects in Patrick Wilson's beautiful Brooklyn brownstone. And these are things that she might want to have. Mm-hmm. The objects that lingers on in Matthew Reese's apartment are his books mm-hmm. and the picture of himself with Toni Morrison. And those are all the things she wants to become. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when he puts his penis on her. It's not like she's like, well, I may as well grab it. I feel like she's like, I feel like I have to, or maybe he won't like me, or maybe, um, like, I feel like that's embedded in it. Uh, that's interesting, because I didn't feel like whether or not he would like her was part of it. But, you know, well, we can all have different, I, you know, it's like the subjectivity of how we respond to this is, I didn't feel like that. I felt like, I did, the thing is, I didn't feel like at any point she really wanted his approval. I felt like she wanted the approval of someone like him. Do you know? Does that no, say, I felt does like that, she wanted his. Do you think really his specifically? <laughs> well, because she does say that, you know, he, she loves his writing. Yeah. And that's sort of why she was crushed by the allegations that she read right. about him. And, and you know, and I think you sort of see, and Jen, you pointed this out in your piece, um, that he is constantly telling her she's a smart, funny writer. Right. And in some ways is, you know, sees the potential of what she can become as a writer that mm-hmm. she, she hasn't even tapped into herself. And I think that that is the kind of wish fulfillment that that he stands in for her in terms of career that Patrick Wilson did, perhaps in terms of um, romance or uh, partner. Or your material possessions. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. I guess I guess what I mean, what I meant by that was um, I think there's a certain point at which. Who he is, who he is as a person, almost becomes beside the point. I mean, we've we've all three of us talked about this this guy as a, as a symbol of her aspirations of one kind or another, and that's what I meant. Hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I I really felt like it, you know I love the way she played. I think this is one of Lena Dunham's very best performances. The way she mm-hmm. played multiple conflicted reactions at the same time. And for example, at no point in this thing did I feel like she was taken in by him. I felt like on some sort of an like a animal level, she responded to the to the flattery, to the intellectual vanity, and things like that. But I didn't feel like he was pulling the wool over her. Eyes. You don't think you know that when I mean? he had her read the piece that or the the short part that he had written about the encounter uh, with the and woman, then they start talking, right? And they oh, I think I think that's when she that's when she he he has her, right? But I think that's one brief part of the episode. Well, I, I think, think that, the but, spell works, but that's that that's the important part because that's a part of the episode right before the yeah the penis, yeah, yeah. But I but you know the question is is the spell still lingering when 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 the penis emerges? <sighs> sure. I you know well, I don't know I don't I don't I'm not entirely convinced that it is. I'm not convinced that I don't know I don't know. I, I mean I. I think this that kind of breaks the spell in some way, but I think she still feels like she's he clearly wants her to do something with it because he put it on her. So she feels like some pressure to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's how I read it. And I also it, it reminded me, too, of what she says earlier in the episode where she's talking about um, I think the woman's name is Denise, who had written the Tumblr post um, a- accusing him of, of uh, sexual assault, where she says it's not that she wants a story. She wants she wants to be to have her existence reaffirmed or something to that mm-hmm. um, 
And I felt like that was why she was there, too, that she that she wanted her existence affirmed by this author as well uh, on some level. That was my read on it. And the and the power and balance of it is is really beautifully portrayed. Mm-hmm. And the way that he summons her, he summons her like he's a king. You know, yes. it's like you will come to my house and talk to me about this. And you will also take off your shoes in a very particular way. Right. <laughs> yes, that too. Boots. That too. That was very creepy. <laughs> very creepy. Don't don't so let it, the suede touch. I, I don't like Matthew that. Reese's performance, he really makes you see like he makes you see how this guy is a manipulative, sleazy character and also how people would not notice mm. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Or notice it and decide, well, fuck it, he's attractive. Well, also th- because there's so little <laughs> actual evidence in in the way that you can point at yes it's it's like a feeling it is it is that's that's true that's that's very true it is a feeling it's more of a vibe it's more of a vibe it's and and you can also again like going back to this like the construction of an event we we read about these kind of events and in fact other people on in the context of this episode have written about events like this involving this guy Mm mm-hmm where you know what is happening, everybody knows what happened, but you, but you, there's not a whole lot of actual facts that you can right. use that you can enter into evidence. Right. You know, thus yeah. the difficulty of making a, a particular case. It's really, I think it's really ingenious. And you know, the question of does it work as a as part of the world of girls? Well, one man's trash really didn't either. Like these two episodes really do feel like they're enclosed by parentheses within the larger narrative of girls. And the and and uh, one man's trash. I believe the events of one man's trash were never referred to again. Right on the show. It's, I I don't think they I don't think they ever mentioned any of that stuff. And I think uh, there I were think even so either. there were even some people at the time who were saying, "Did it even happen?" Was it a fantasy? I mean, that sounds like that's sort of verging on that kind of fan theory BS that I hate so much. Like, fan theory, it never happened. She dreamed it. You know, like that's what a lot of fan theories either come back to. It was a dream or they're dead. You know, like, like, but I don't think that's I, I feel like this is something else. Like episodes like this are something else. Like they're not they may or may not be part of the ongoing narrative of girls. But I think they're more like when you're reading a novel. Specifically a novel like uh, – this is going to sound crazy, but like when you're reading something like a Moby Dick or or a Billy Budd or um, or Jude the Obscure or even something that's more postmodern like The French Lieutenant's Woman where you're in the story with the characters and you're in that world and you're following along and you're being propelled along from what happens to what happens to what happens and then suddenly it will stop and the narrator will give you a little digressive sort of evaluation of the characters. Almost like the author is like stopping the story for a minute to speak to you directly. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like is happening in both of these episodes is like they are mm-hmm. – the, it's the authorial aside or like a moment in a play where a character addresses the audience directly. And like it's – you know, it is of the play and yet it is not of the play. I mean I think, Matt, when you wrote about the One Man's Trash when that immediately came out, you talked about – the fact that maybe it could be had that dream quality and the show doesn't have, really tell you one way or the other, which is sort of the great thing about it. You could interpret it, hey, this actually happened. Maybe it didn't. Who knows? And I kind of in some ways felt like that a little bit, obviously, in a totally different context. That were, There was a dreamier quality about One Man's Trash, certainly, than yeah. um, this most recent episode, which was more kind of almost went into a nightmarish <laughs> uh, place at the end there. But mm-hmm. uh, But the way that she walks away – and both of those episodes end with her walking away from – the homes of these men. And when she walks away at the end of American Bitch, like there's these these women, this parade of women walking. She's walking against the current of them and they're all going into that apartment building. 
And I thought that was to symbolize, you know, there's always going to be some other woman who's willing to go into Matthew Reese's apartment and and take his abuse, basically. Uh, and they sort of dissolve out on it in a way that gave it sort of a dreamy quality. Now, that doesn't mean that didn't really happen, but I felt like that was a deliberate, again, choice. Um, like you said, putting these things in parentheses and that they're they're speaking to something. It signals that they're speaking to something broader and deeper than just a typical episode of Girls. Yes, and it's not just about what's happening in that world. It's about what's happening in our world. And I did love that final shot for the same reasons that you did. And, I, and I'm awfully fond. I really have a weakness for that kind of storytelling where it's sort of it is dreamlike, but not necessarily a dream, mm-hmm. you know. And it's not even like they're going out of they're going out of their way to make it surreal. There's just a flavor of the surreal to the interactions, um, right? And I like that. And I like I especially like it when the people who are doing that don't tell you if it's quote unquote real or not, because I think we get a little <clears throat> too hung up on that as viewers right. personally. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like something my grandfather said, like when you analyze that kind of thing too closely, it's like you're cutting up a bird to see what makes it sing. <laughs> you know, of course, that's <laughs> as critics, that's, that's kind of what we do all day long. But still, it's kind of nice to leave this bird alone, I think. All right. So within the context of other bottle episodes of Girls, where does American Bitch rank in your guys' minds? Hmm. Top two. The other one being One Man's Trash. <clears throat> They've done some mm-hmm. good ones, but those are the top two. And I, they do feel like they I kind love of, the beach one too. The beach one's a great one, also. Yeah, yeah. I think and the, the Marnie one, one from be, last season. Oh, the Marnie one was great. I think the beach one might be one of my favorites, and then I think this one might be my favorite of all. Yeah, I think I, I like I like the I like thinking about Lena Dunham having this conversation. Like, I feel like this is a very high level, sophisticated take on how the internet has processed discourse in a lot of ways. And that sort of appeals to me just as in terms of what I do. Um, And I think that's sort of why it resonates with me. Or maybe it's just because I watched it recently. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And also just the way that it treats those, you know, the women writing about their encounters with this author. Right. And it's clear that, you know, he's right on one level. There is more to the story. But in another sense, uh, what their version of the story is really all you need to know. Right. And, and she, <laughs> you, know. you know, because like when he's like aghast that they're like writing this on a Tumblr, right? And she's right. like, that's where they feel like they can write this, mm-hmm. you know? And it, and I feel like the the episode doesn't necessarily weigh in heavily or weigh on one side heavily of like who it thinks is right, quote unquote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's sort of what I liked about it, that it sort of had enough um, complications or it allowed a lot of complications to exist in a way that I find really appealing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, as you both said before, there were times when I thought both of them made good points and both of them were totally wrong. Right. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, the, the Tumblr thing, like, it's true that that's what's great about the Internet, that people can express this stuff. But at it's the same also time, bad. when she was, but what, Well, right. But also at the same time when she was saying, you know, she wrote this story – kind of using that as her resource and didn't it didn't seem like she'd really talked to anyone. It just reminded me of the whole Rolling Stone UVA situation mm-hmm. and, and how important it is to really do your research in those mm-hmm. um, situations. Um, but what's interesting to me about both of the bottle episodes we've been talking about and just in general is I feel like a lot of times I watch them. The first time I watch them, I just kind of have a visceral reaction to whatever's going on. And sometimes because they're so uh, out of what is typical for girls, I, I react negatively initially and then I watch them a second time and I'm like wow what a great episode like because I start looking at how it's constructed more and how well written it is um 
so I'm just wondering how people will respond to it. We uh, we don't know that yet because as we're recording this, it hasn't actually it's, – it's on HBO Go, but people haven't really started talking about it. But it feels like the kind of girls episode people will talk about. Yeah. That's just about it for this week's show. But before we go, it's time for this week's Aria. This week, it's Matt's turn. Girls is a show that runs on HBO, but there's a sense in which it has never been allowed to exist as a show, as just a show, as an aesthetic object overseen by creator and star Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor, the executive producer. The series has been a lightning rod for controversy since its debut in 2012. It has generated, by my entirely unscientific estimate, 42 gajillion think pieces about what it gets wrong about this or that. Not just think pieces, but denunciations of the show. Pieces asking whether the characters are too unlikable to merit any kind of sympathy, or whether the sex scenes are so raw as to cross the line into ugly and become, in essence, anti-sex or sex-negative. And privilege, the portrayal or glamorization of privilege, the awareness of or obliviousness to privilege and race. Does the show need more actors of color? It showcased a few, but not enough to counter the blinding whiteness of the show's milieu, a slice of 20-something life whose geographic and cultural center is the Williamsburg-Greenpoint section of Brooklyn, with occasional trips to lower Manhattan and the tri-state area and Iowa and the Hamptons. The sorts of places frequented by upper-middle-class girls like Hannah, the heroine of the show, played by Lena Dunham. These are all worthy, necessary topics of conversation, but when they're focused on almost exclusively as they have been throughout the run of girls, something equally valuable gets lost, and that something is craft. The sense of the show as a production, as a drama that makes particular choices, not merely to score political points or avoid them, but to create an emotional, even physical, reaction to what it is showing us. American Bitch, the most recent episode of Girls, is fascinating, not just for the way that it explores power relationships between men and women, older and younger people, and the famous and the not famous. It is also fascinating for what it does as a TV episode, the way that it stands apart from and in the middle of Girls' established timeline, seeming to critique itself interrogate itself through its two characters, Lena Dunham's Hannah and a brilliant sleazeball novelist and possible sexual predator played by Matthew Reese. Is this real? Is it a fantasy? Is it a projection? Is it a part of the girls' universe in the way that the regular ensemble episodes are? When we look at Hannah in this self-contained narrative, are we seeing Hannah? Or are we seeing Lena Dunham? Or are we seeing a mix of the two? And when we look at the novelist, are we seeing him alone or perhaps also a representation of the artist and celebrity that Hannah rather nakedly aspires to become someday? That girls can inspire all those questions and have the restraint not to answer them definitively speaks very highly of its creators, even as it says nothing deliberately about the myriad issues of representation and misrepresentation that are rightly being discussed again as girls' heads towards its finish line. I would like it if we could have this other conversation, too, the one about art and craft, at the same time that we have all of the other conversations that we have about girls and controversial shows in the vein of girls. These two conversations are not mutually exclusive. They can exist in the same timeline. That's it for this week's show. The Vulture TV podcast is produced by Jordan Bell. Laura Mayer is our director of production, and Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. 
The Vulture TV podcast is part of the Panoply Network. I'm Jen Cheney, and you can find me on Twitter at CheneyJ. I'm Matt Zoller Seitz, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt Zoller Seitz. And I'm Alex Jung, and you can find me on Twitter at E underscore Alex Jung. Thanks for listening.